Thanks for listening and welcome to the Bridges Community Church Podcast. Christ alone offers freedom, but we often keep ourselves locked up by trying to add on to His gift, and we further tighten the chains. Christ alone offers freedom to step outside the gates of our prisons and learn to experience life on the outside. Listen in as we check out our current series on the New Testament book of Galatians titled, Life on the Outside, with today's teaching pastor, Brian Murphy. Good morning. It is my intense pleasure and honor to be here this morning. Uh, You all have an incredible pastor in Pastor King. Uh, He is a great man of God. Um, he, He does not know this, but I have adopted him as one of my um, ad hoc mentors. Um, because I, I love his heart, I love his passion for God, I love his humility, and so when he asked me to come and uh, speak with you all this morning, I jumped at the opportunity. Bridges is a wonderful church. You all are doing wonderful ministry. God is growing up wonderful uh, believers who are serving him, and so it is indeed my pleasure just to spend a few moments with you this morning, and thank you for allowing me to come. My wife is here with me, my wife Stacy. so we are honored to both be here with you. Um, I want to dive right into the word this morning, continuing the series that you all have been uh, doing, uh, Life on the Outside. If you could turn with me, please, to the uh, book of Galatians chapter 2. The scripture for this morning is verses 11 through 21. By the way, I I move and I'm going to talk to you. So is there anybody that can serve as an amen corner for me? I don't need a lot of them, but about every 90 to two minutes, if I could just get one out of charity, I would take an amen (laughs) just every now and then, just to let me know that I'm with the people of God. Amen. They're a good good start. All right. Do we have it? Say amen. 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 Let's read this. Uh, When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. Before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like, like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you can force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ, not by observing the law, because by observing the law, no one will be justified. If while we seek to be justified in Christ, it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners, does that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, I prove that I am a lawbreaker. For though... For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. 
I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, then Christ died for nothing. Amen. 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 It is a wonderful portion of scripture. Um, when I when I was uh, given this by by uh, Pastor Ron, I, I figured he was giving me a, a big juicy lob because he wasn't sure how I would do. So I appreciated this rich text. And, and, and I was excited because really I, I get the culmination of all you've been doing so far. I want to make the premise that all that you've been reading and studying from chapter one, the first part of chapter two, is, reading up, is leading up to this point. This is what Paul has been wanting to talk about. This is what Paul has been wanting to engage these believers. Keep in mind, Paul is a pastor, and he's far away from this church that he began years ago. And so he's writing a letter back because something is happening to those that he loved and cared for. They're in some kind of turmoil, and Paul is trying to write to encourage them. And so he's been building up to this point because he has a word for encour- of encouragement, a word of strengthening for his people. And I believe he has a word for us today, too. The title that I am using for this morning is Things Worth Fighting For. Sometimes you got to fight. And you know, that was another thing I was surprised. You know, in the pulpit, I get to talk about fighting. Isn't that pretty cool? (laughs) And so there are times when we find ourselves, Ecclesiastes says there's a season for all things. And there is times when Christians, when believers need to fight. And so this is one of those moments. So what do we fight for? Think about the things that, that kind of get you going, that get you um, amped up or excited or maybe in, in, in kind of a fighting mode. I was thinking about, for me, isn't it usually around our kids? I mean, think back if you're parents or you've got young children in your family. You know, when it's a beautiful day like today, we live in this wonderful state. God has just poured so many blessings out on us in California. And you say, you know what, I'm going to take little Johnny to the park. And you get him all ready, and, or, you, or you take your daughter, a niece, uh, and, and you get her all, she's all cute and ready to go. And all she wants to do is go down the slide. And so she gets to the playground, and and you prop her up there, and she's sliding, and everything is good. And so you go and sit down on the side, and then the mean kid shows up. You've seen the mean kid, right? The big bully mean kid. And he wants to go down the slide the same, same time your daughter or niece does. And what does he do? Kicks her right in the back, moves her out of the way, and he goes down the slide, and he keeps pushing her around. And, and you're a good Christian parent a good godly person and you want to go and just shake that little kid and just tell him to stop but we can't do that in public um but we know that there are times and we must respond we can't just sit idly by and paul has come to this point and he's written this whole letter to tell the people of god when the moment calls there are times when we must stand up and fight because some things are worth fighting for. I want to come back to the image of the playground, but I wanted to start off by giving you a context. This is how I kind of framed up this chunk of text, because there's so much in here. There's so many things we could talk about, but I put it in these three different uh, areas. The first one is I I looked at the text, and, and verses 11 through 14 to me are about the conflict that Paul is engaged with. He's having a, a problem with Peter. Peter has been with him, and he's been acting. Uh, he, he has acknowledged that, that Paul is an apostle to the, um, 
to the Gentiles, and he's come and he's entered into his territory, into his people, into his ministry, and he was acting just like them. But then some of the folks came from Jerusalem, the bigwigs. The man showed up to inspect things, and he got nervous. Peter got nervous, and he started acting in ways that would get the favor of those who he was afraid of. Can you say fear motivates us sometimes? Thank you. Thank you. I'll take that as an amen. And so fear motivates us sometimes. And so he's calling him to task on this. And so he starts out talking about the the, the conflict that the people are being persuaded by. And you see Paul is even a little frustrated. He's asked them in the first chapter, why are you leaving the gospel that you once clung to? Why are you turning away from the truth of which you received? What's, what's confused you? What's bewildered you? Stand fast on the truth that you received. And so he's, he's, he's putting Peter in the midst of this conflict that he knows is happening with this church. And then he goes on to talk about you are trying to get them to obey Jewish law. But he's trying to point out that don't you realize that law, the law that we have, it has uh, some function, but it also has limitations. There's a limitation on what the law can accomplish. And so he spends the next few verses trying to get Peter, and, and Peter already knew he's reminding Peter and instructing the people, don't get too caught up in your traditions. Don't get too caught up in your mode of operation where you know this is what being a good believer looks like because God has given us a gift of grace that transcends all of our laws and traditions. Now, I'm in a good spot for an amen. I'm just trying to warm you up. Okay, third part. The last two verses, verses 20 and 21, Paul is talking, Peter is, I'm sorry, Paul is giving us this revelation that not only is this law that has given him a, a pathway into Christ, freed him from its own confines and its own limitations, but in Christ, he realizes that he has been given a brand new life. He's not the same person he used to be. He doesn't live confined by the same things that used to bind him up. He's found a new freedom, a new boldness. And so that's where he ends this text. And I wanted us to to see that as the framework. And I'm going to spend a little time primarily in the last two. The conflict is a conflict. We all have conflicts. Uh, He's talking about Jewish law, but think about the conflicts that we have with our family, with our neighbors, with our coworkers. There's all kinds of situations that bubble up and we find ourselves at odds with people. And the same rules and guidelines that he gives us for how we should respond or how Peter should be responding in conflict apply to us today. And so I want to walk through that just a little bit. Uh, I should have kept my glasses on because I can barely see that. Wonderful. New life. There we go. So I want to talk about this second section, 15 through 19, because I, I, I called this little header Relationship Realities relationship realities. There's three key words that are theological in this text, and we need to get some understanding for these. The first one is he keeps talking about faith. Faith. And that's a word that's thrown around a lot, particularly in Christian circles. And so maybe you're new to Christ. Maybe you're still trying to figure out what you believe about Christ. Maybe you're on this road and people keep saying, we want to grow in understanding in our faith. But faith has kind of been um, over time, the, the, the understanding of it that we have now is a little softer than I think it meant in biblical times. When we think of faith, it's too close today associated with like wishing or 
maybe something is going to be true, or I'm going to try this out and hope it works out in some kind of very uh, squishy, esoteric kind of fashion. That's not what Paul was talking about. The word that better aligns when we say, when we hear faith in the Bible, is really closer to trust. It's definitive. It's authoritative. There's a confidence and a boldness. If you look it up in Webster, it talks about having absolute confidence in something that will happen. Putting your faith in your, and your, uh, your belief and your confidence, you're finding rest and satisfaction in a person or a thing that you know you can depend on. That's what faith is. Christ is not some, I hope this works out. Jesus is not some insurance policy just to get out of hell. He's not some, I, there, there are many gods and many paths, and, and I hope this one works out. If I don't, I'll pick another one. He's saying, I have absolute confidence that Jesus Christ is the one I can bet the whole farm on. I can put all my eggs in the Jesus basket. I can relax in the confidence that I have because I trust, I know that I know that I know that Jesus is Lord. And so that's what he's calling us to do, to have this trust. And, and, and it's not just a, a vague trust, it's a trust in Christ. In Christ. And he's making this relational connection that all that he's seen, all that has happened in his life, all of these changes that he's experienced haven't been experienced because he is aware of Christ, but he is living in Christ. Christ has come into his life and began to do some house cleaning. Now, when Christ comes in and begins to clean your house, he doesn't just come with a coat of paint. He comes with a bulldozer. And he starts knocking down walls. He starts breaking down old stuff. He starts finding moldy, decayed stuff, and he clears it all out, and he begins to build something beautiful and lovely and powerful in the place of the old stuff that was once there. And so he's saying it has to be interwoven in Christ. I can't be on the periphery. But as I have invested myself and my heart in Christ, he has poured so much back into me. And so Peter knew this. Peter was aware of this. And so why did Paul have this conflict? What's the problem? What's Paul so mad about? Well, what is he so irritated about? Why is he picking a fight? He could have just pulled Peter to the side and said, well, Peter, you know, I was thinking about how you're acting and, and I don't think that this is quite becoming a man. No, he said, hey, you, Peter, we got a problem here. And he called him out in front of everybody. Why did he do that? Was he just mad? Was he having a bad day? No. He found something that deserved a response, that demanded a public response. And so he pulls Peter in front of everybody, and he says, what you are doing is not right. Now, does that mean that Peter was no longer, uh, um, Paul was no longer in favor of Jewish dietary customs? Does he think that those things are suddenly wrong and, and immoral? No, that wasn't the problem. The problem was not that there wasn't value in those traditions. The problem was that when we take the things that we like to do in our Christian mindset and make those necessity for people who don't necessarily have the same background and culture that we do. I think that's one of the most beautiful things about Bridges. I love the fact that you have all of these ministries. Look around the room. Look at the... Um, 
the diversity and the people and the backgrounds and the languages. And we haven't uh, in this church put up so many barriers that you got to walk just like us and you got to talk just like us and you got to sing exactly the same notes that we sing. There is a freedom in Christ. There's a freedom in Christ. We're going to get it warmed up. There's a freedom that we have that I don't have to make everybody look and act and think exactly like me. God's too big to have them be just like me. Thank God it's not based on my model. Thank God I'm not God because I'd be zapping people, but that's another sermon. Um, He's trying to say that there, there, is, there is this grace that's been given, that God's kingdom is big enough for all different kinds of people, and don't confine them into your customs and your ways of being. And that's so true for us today, church. He gets into this part in the middle of this text, which I gets kind of confusing, and, and Paul can be confusing sometimes. And he, he starts talking about, I, I lived through the law, and I died to the law, and then I became in Christ. And it's a little confusing. Let me tell you the gist of what he's saying here. Justification means primarily this. God moves and declares me righteous. He makes atonement. He makes up for all of my sin. He's a holy God. He can't be near sin. He can't be near things that aren't holy. But God himself intervenes and declares that because of his righteousness, I am made right before God. That's justification, and it's a gift. It can't be earned. And so when I put my faith in God, and he gave me the grace to cover my sins, I became justified by the movement of God, and then my life became transformed. I started looking at people and things and situations differently, things that used to hold me down and bind me up. All of a sudden, I find myself able to break through those things. All of those uh, relationships and those people that have been so problematic for me, all of a sudden, I can find a heart of forgiveness and mercy and compassion and it didn't come from me it came from Christ inside of me spilling out and so he says all of this thing is is tied up in this relational connection all of these things that we see manifested in God is because we have been made right and been made new in Christ by the gift of his grace which we received and never earned it was all God's work so we don't have any reasons to put any confines on anybody else for how they, how they will receive or enter into Christ. So I, 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 that, that, that's the framework, and that's kind of the theological. But I, I wanted to spend the last few minutes talking about it. Let me make sure I haven't skipped ahead. Sorry. Here we go. Now we're right on target. I want to spend the last few minutes making this practical. What does all this mean? There's some justification that God gives me. There is this life in Christ that's available to me. There is this thing about grace that God pours out on me. But what does that have to do with my life in 2014? What does it have to do with things that I need to figure out when I need to stand up and fight? I want to give us a little bit of an outline. And it's basically the who, why, and how we fight. First thing, who do we fight? Some of our fights are external. Some of our fights come from people that have no relationship with God because they are disputing the truth that we have received. 
And so he's referring back to the same argument that he started in chapter one, verses six and seven. And he said, some people from the outside, people who don't know this gospel, who don't know that Jesus died on the cross specifically for them to invite them into his family and to heal them and to, and to make them strong and to give them new life and new identity. To those people who don't believe the same thing that we do, they can stand on the outside and throw rocks at us. And he says, sometimes they will even try to infiltrate us and, and, and confuse us and have us believing a gospel that isn't really the true gospel. The last several weeks, you guys have been referring to that as grace plus. As if Christ's work wasn't good enough, we got to put gra- Jesus, what he did on the cross, plus Brian's effort. Let me tell you, Jesus plus Brian just equals Jesus. There's nothing else I can add to it. There's no benefit from me trying to add my own intelligence, my own ability, my own power or skills. There's nothing else added to salvation besides what Christ did. And so when people come in and say, yeah, Jesus is cool, but have you considered this and have you done this and would you add this on? And if you were only acting this way or talking this way or behaving this way, then you would really be saved. There's a, 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 a theologian named C.S. Lewis. He's the one who did the Narnia Chronicles. Years ago, he was uh, invited into this, count, this, um, this uh, kind of think tank session. And all of these professors and theologians were trying to figure out, so what's so great about Christianity? Why is it different than any other religion and any other system of, of honoring and knowing God? What's so different or so great about Uh, Christianity and they're debating and they're throwing out all of these big fancy terms and ideas and and they're getting nowhere they're shooting each other down and so C.S. Lewis walks into the room and they say C.S. you gotta you gotta you gotta give us an answer here what makes Christianity different and he said oh that's easy one word grace 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 means that God did it all Grace means that God is the one who took action. And I I appreciate other ways of, of viewing God and other ways of trying to live for God. And there are all kinds of regulations and all kinds of practices that we can put up about how to pray and what to eat and what not to eat and what you can drink and what you can't drink and where you can go and can't go. And I think all of those are shadows of people trying to live out and reflect a holy God. But we got to understand there's no brownie points in the kingdom. I don't earn extra credit for acting a certain way. God loves me and he gave himself to me on the cross. And he said, that's all that's needed for you to be with me forever, to put your faith, your trust in my son, Jesus. That's all that's necessary. And so when we get other gospels that are really dishonest from that and trying to have us live with all of these other parameters and we start uh, excluding people because they don't act the way that we think they should or really the way that we do, then we start ending up with a dishonest gospel and that's when it's time to fight. That's when it's time to proclaim the true gospel. And Paul has been saying, how have you turned away from it? Who's confused you? In the next chapter, he calls them foolish for turning away from that true gospel. And so we have to know it, we have to see it, and we have to be willing to stand firm in the gospel that we have been given through the revelation of God's holy word. Amen?
second one. The second point is that we have to fight when the, when the gospel becomes, oh, I'm sorry, we have, and I'm all out of order. See, I, use, I usually just kind of flow, and so the fill-in-the-blank things is a little tough for me, and God's grace has given me freedom not to follow the order of the blanks. Um, <laughs> So some of our fights are internal within the body. Uh, But I wanted to get to this one. We fight when we are confronted with a different gospel. We fight when we are confronted with a divisive gospel. And this is really where I think Paul was at. Why was Paul so upset? Why did Paul feel like he had to call Peter out in front of everybody? Because this was his church. These were his friends. But in many ways, Paul was the spiritual father to the people in Galatia. And he was sitting there watching his precious child on top of the slide, eager to slide into the arms of Jesus. And somebody came up and put a stop sign in the middle of the slide and said, you can't go down unless you slide just like me. And they're pushing his kids aside. They're pushing his kids out of the way. They're becoming an obstacle for these people that God has welcomed into his kingdom. And they won't allow the grace of God to be good enough. And he says, you're dividing the very people that God has called together to be one. And I can't stand for it. What does that mean for us? Do we have a a gospel that can be divisive? There's all kinds of issues. There's all kinds of hot topics in the world today. There's all kinds of uh, political and and social economic issues that we are confronted by. But the question is, are we going to allow issues and even our views on issues to divide what God has brought together? He said there is one faith, there's one God, there's one baptism, there's one salvation. We should not allow anything in this world, no matter how passionately we feel about it, to separate us from one another as people, as brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. I hunger in my church. I hunger for this church. I want Republicans and Democrats sitting right next to one another. No amen there, huh? Okay. <laughs> Keep it moving. I'll just keep. I'll just keep moving. Okay, let's try another one. I want. I want the homeless person and the CEO of Silicon Valley companies sitting right next to each other, eating donut holes and drinking coffee outside together. I want people from different races and different ethnic and socioeconomic. I want all these people who have no reason to be together to be side by side, arm in arm, loving each other because the gospel compels them to love one another wholly. That's what it is. And so Peter said, your, 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 your attempts to make us holy, to make us look righteous, to get certain behaviors are dividing the people of God. But we have been brought together and you were doing it yourself until you got afraid of what other people might think. And that's what's hard for us today. Sometimes to be a Christian means you got to stand kind of by yourself. It means you got to stand out on that, that, that limb that, 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 that's teetering. Everybody's looking at you, and it's not real popular. And if you go too far, you're going to fall over the edge. But God said, stand bold, and I will be with you. My grace is sufficient for you. And so there are times when we have to be the one who said, I know this is not popular, but this is what my God says. And I want, it to, be, uh, I want to be a vehicle of bringing people together, not dividing us in the name of Jesus. So when the gospel gets divisive, 
When the gospel becomes a source of, of, of debate and we have more time talking about our opinions and the truth of Jesus Christ, it's time for a fight. Amen. By myself. Okay, third one. <laughs> when we are confronted with a dishonest gospel, a dishonest gospel. In verse number 14 of chapter 2, he says, When I saw they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, that's when it got real. That's when it got to be necessary for him to confront. Now, here's the problem in our churches today. Too many Christians are illiterate of the Bible. It's hard for us to know when something is dishonest when we don't really know what it says. And as much as I love your pastor, as much as I know the true gospel is being presented here, people, we are to be self-feeders of the word of God today. We got every other app on our phones and computers. Hope you got a Bible app on your smartphone. I hope you're spending some time allowing the word of God to reveal to you what his nature is, what his character is, what his passions are, the things that, uh, that he knows and has made true about you and made true about all of his children. Do we know the truth so that when something shows up, we can identify that as not in line with the truth of the Bible? You know what I'm going to do one day in my church? I'm going to get up one day and I'm just going to read this passage. I'm just going to start talking. I'm going to throw in all kinds of stuff. And it's not going to be from the Bible. And I'm going to keep reading until they figure out that I'm not really reading the Bible. I'm going to put some big fancy these and thous and therefores in there and make it sound all biblical. And we should know antennas should be going up. I don't know what he's reading, but that's not the Bible. Because it says in the last days, many false teachers will come. Many false prophets will come and they're going to sound good. And the, and the devil, by the way, who I, I believe in because Jesus believed in him, he's not this guy running around in a red suit with a pitchfork. Don't look for that guy. That's not how he's coming. He takes a little bit of truth and he wraps a little bit of a lie around it and it tastes so good and it looks so good, but it's a little bit off from the true gospel. And if we're not careful, if we're not diligent, if we're not using the word to reply to the enemy, we will be led astray. And so when Paul said, you're not living in alignment with the truth of the gospel, it's time for a fight. And so that's the three things, divisive, dishonest, um, different. Thank you. You guys are good. See, now I'm glad I had the blanks. Okay. <laughs> Last thing, because I'm sure I'm about over my time. How do we fight? If we know that there are situations when we have to fight and we know some of our fights will come from external people, some of them will happen even within the body of Christ, but, but how do we do it? Just because we get a fight doesn't mean we get a fight like the world fights. And so here is how we fight. Do you know Jesus? You know, I, I, get, I, get, uh, I get a little upset about the kind of common portrayal of Jesus as kind of this, um, kind of like a metrosexual Fabio kind of, can I say that in church? <laughs> like this real soft, whispery kind of guy. Uh, you know, I think, I think Jesus was a thug, kind of. I mean, he went, in, he went into church and would kick over tables. 
He would take the powers that be and, and argue with them in public squares. He was not some kind of soft, passive leader. He was in people's face when necessary, but he almost always was talking strongly against the people who thought they knew God, but were really far away from him. But even in his most heated moments, he knew how to fight in a way that would not turn people away, but would always draw people in. And that's so important. That's so important. We have to be mindful of how we fight. I wanted to give us the verse from John chapter 1, verse 17. It said, Jesus came with grace and truth. And by the way, grace was before truth. And so even when we know that we're right, even when we know that this opinion is correct, even when we know that somebody else is wrong, how we engage with them has to be reflective of the grace of Jesus Christ. We have to fight like Jesus did. We can confront uh, dishonesty and we can confront divisiveness and we can confront a different kind of gospel, but we have to do it in a way that is seasoned with salt. The next one I gave you, it says that we fight with grace. Colossians 4 and 5 and 6 says, always have your speech seasoned with salt. Salt's a preservative. Salt's an enhancer. Salt makes things better. It's better. Food tastes better. Food lasts longer because salt was there. And he says, so when you're talking, always make sure that your speech is seasoned with the grace of Jesus Christ, not divisive or angry. And the last one, and these are kind of the opposites. What I want us to do is remember that when we are fighting, we have to proceed with caution. Even if the timing is right, even if the issue is correct, I have to be very cautious because my flesh loves nothing more than to fight. And I'm never supposed to be gratifying the desires of my flesh. And so here's, I wanted to give you some warnings. I have to be careful not to fight even when I'm right and I got the right situation when I'm angry or frustrated. Anybody got kids? Whew, Jesus. Jesus. Your kids may be holier than my kids, but my kids do some stuff that makes me mad. Amen. <laughs> Let's just have a moment of silence. <laughs> um, and so when, when I'm responding to my children, I have to respond in a way, no matter how right I am. When, when the Bible says things like, fathers, don't exacerbate your children. You can be right and they need correction and they need discipline. But how we do it has to have some grace inside of it. I have to be mindful that I'm trying to use words that build up, not words that tear down. And I can't do that if I'm so angry or frustrated. I also can't do that if I feel like God needs to be defended. Believe me, God is bigger than anybody else that you're arguing with. And there's two things you can't do. This one's for young people. One, you can't argue anybody into the kingdom. And two, you can't date anybody into the kingdom. <laughs> another sermon for another day, but you can't do either one of those. And so whenever I feel like I need to defend God, like God is under attack and I got to attack you back as you're attacking my God, I got to stop and say, wait a minute, is this really grace that is leading the way here? And the final one, when I see somebody who needs fixing. When I see somebody who needs fixing. In your text, if you have your Bible, um, in, in verse 16, that Bible probably has Gentile sinners in quotation marks. 
And what that simply meant is Paul was saying it, but he didn't even really agree with that concept. Like those people are sinners, not like us people who are good and holy. And anytime I find myself starting out a conversation, trying to talk to one of those people who needs fixing, I should probably pause because we all have the same resume. We all stand in front of the same God with the same resume. I am a sinner saved by grace. And no matter how many sins you have, no matter if I think yours are bigger or smaller, no matter if I think I've cleaned up mine more, there are those subtle sins of my heart and my mind and my thoughts that make me equally a filthy rag before a holy and righteous God. And so I have no right to think somebody else needs to be fixed more than I do. I'm not supposed to be a fixer. I'm supposed to be a witness. I'm supposed to be salt and light. I'm supposed to remind people that the grace that I have received from my God is available to you. And it's available to you. And it's available to you. It's a free gift from our God who loved us enough to give us a brand new life, to give us a new life with new power and new strength to free us from the bonds that used to tie us down. God is a God of second chances and third chances and 14th chances and 296th chances. Maybe you're the black sheep of your family. Maybe you're the one who's always messed up, who never made the right decisions. You are first in God's grace line. He loves each one of us so much that all he wants us to do is not be a stumbling block for any of his lost sheep. The gift of grace is too precious. So when we ask, what am I upset about? What am I ready to go to battle for? What am I ready to put it all on the line for? There is nothing worth fighting more for than the free gift of grace. And anywhere where I can allow the grace of God to enter into a broken and hurting world, that he can heal, that he can mend, that he can reconcile, that he can bring us far away, those who are far away close to him, that's what I will fight for. Because just like I love my children, I realize God loves his. Amen. Bow with me, please. Father in heaven, I just pray that in this moment you are beginning to speak to each man, woman, and child in this place. That you're calling to their hearts and minds the relationship conflicts, the workplace conflicts, the places where there's been separation and division, brokenness, unforgiveness, all of those areas that the devil will use as a foothold, God, give us brand new eyes. Give us the boldness to stand up for the truth of the gospel that you gave through your son, Jesus. Allow us to be vessels of your love and your grace. Allow us to put down bitterness and anger and replace it with patience and kindness, compassion, the fruit of the spirit that you have so freely poured out on your people. May we leave this place today, God, transformed by the power of the spirit. 
aware of the grace that you have so freely given to us. Make us ambassadors of that grace for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. God bless you, church. Thanks so much for listening to the Bridges Podcast. Check out Bridges Community Church website at bridgescc.org for more information. 